Good morning, church. You guys excited to be here today or what? I mean, God is good. Amen. Let's give him a round of applause. Yeah. Uh, Spencer, nice job last Sunday. Uh, I love to see the young guys up and uh, what a marvelous day senior Sunday was. Uh, Emory was amazing as well. And I like the look now with the big beard, the man bun. You kind of got a redneck samurai look going there now. I like that. It's good. So um, Jack Cornette was talking with me before this morning. He's uh, one of our original podcast guys for Unashamed. And I love it because, you know, he kind of gives me the inside scoop on what he thinks about what's going on with our podcast. And so I found out this week that um, Unashamed Podcast is up for Podcast of the Year by the K-Love Fan Awards, which is pretty awesome. We uh, we are humbled by that because there's a lot of great podcasts uh, that are in that same category. So it just goes to show you that uh, God still works in amazing ways. And uh, for us to be able to do what we do, our live stream audience, Jamie, great job on the communion this morning. It's really fantastic to know that really COVID, that which shut so much down and did so much damage around the world, turned out to be something God used for good for us. Uh, to be able to connect with so many people out there. So we're blessed by that. Let me add my happy Mother's Day uh, to everyone. I want to begin with a prayer this morning for our moms. Father, I just want to take a moment and thank you. Thank you so much for our moms that brought us into this world. I pray a prayer, Father, of thanksgiving and praise today for those who can call their moms or give them a card or give them a hug. For those that can't, because they're missing their moms, because they've crossed over. I pray a blessing on them. I pray, Father, that the legacy of moms will continue to live in their lives. For all those adoptive moms and foster moms and those that are giving children a chance, I give you a praise for their name as well. I pray for restoration, Father, for children out there who need a home. Help us, Father, to connect them to a mom. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So, uh, where is Jocelyn Payne? Jocelyn Payne, are you in the house? Is she here? Here she comes. She wanted to make a grand interest. And you know she should, because today is her 16th birthday. I think she deserves a little round of applause for that. Happy birthday, Jocelyn. You ready for that scripture? Okay, good. Have you ever been serenaded on your birthday by a church? I think that should happen. Should, should you read the scripture first? All right, let's, let's let her read the scripture, and then we're going to serenade her. Hebrews 10, wait, Hebrews 2, 10 through 11. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. How about a round of applause? Excellent. Before you go. So your brother said you liked Freddy's. So I got you a little lunch on me, right? Good luck with that drive through Yeah, there you go. Y'all ready to serenade? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. 
Happy birthday, dear Jocelyn. Happy birthday to you. All right. Way to go, Jocelyn. <clears throat> A birthday she will never forget. Man, that Freddy's hard to get in there. Um, so uh, I wanted to mention, of course, I get to say happy Mother's Day to my mom. Uh, because we are blessed, my family, that uh, she's still here and making an impact on the kingdom and, of course, being our mom and making a difference. I have to say that just for a visual, you know, my mom uh, was the same age as Jocelyn when she found out that she was pregnant with me. I mean, pretty young, right? She had just turned 17 two weeks before I came into this world, January 5th, 1965. 17 years old, and yet she fought hard for not only me and my brothers, but also for her marriage. Uh, there's a movie uh, that's going to be out September 28th. Not many people get a movie made about part of their lives, uh, but there is one about my parents. And it's as much about dad's conversion, but it's also about mom's ability to love through a lot of trials and difficulties. And so I uh, just wanted you to know about the movie. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about it. Now you can actually get to see the trailer, and it's powerful. It's going to be powerful. But, uh, Mom, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for staying with Dad. Thank you for having me. Fifty-eight years later, here we are, right? So, And thank you for Jesus. So thank you, Miss Kay, my mom. <clears throat> So we live unashamed lives because we are unashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed. No better time for us to show who Jesus is and show who God is than when the gospel is revealed through us. And the reason that we can live unashamed lives, as Jocelyn read to us, is because Jesus is not ashamed of us. He came here for us. The Son of Man. You realize that in the uh, gospels, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man almost twice as many times as he did the Son of God. That means something. That means he had a specific purpose to come here. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in flesh for us. Now, I want you just to let that soak in for a moment this morning. He who is immortal, eternal, omniscient, knowing all things, omnipresent, everywhere at once, all-powerful, decided that he needed to know us, so he became flesh. Therefore, flesh now is in the Godhead, a relationship because of Jesus Christ. The name of my lesson this morning is the Son of Man, our brother from another mother, because we can relate to Jesus Christ because of him. Paul would put it this way in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships, because that's what it's about, him relating to us, us now relating to one another, 
In your relationships with one another, verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He became one of us for us. He is us. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He died that death for us because he is us, the son of man. The Hebrew writer would say this in Hebrews chapter 2, which is where we're going to be mostly today if you want to turn there. Hebrews 2 verse 6, which is a quote from Psalm 8. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? In other words, what's so special about mankind? The psalmist asked and the Hebrew writer reinforced. A son of man that you care for him. There's that link between humanity and the son of man. Even way back predicted in the days of the psalmist. You made him a little lower. You made them a little lower than the angels. So Jesus is unique for us. Not the angels. Not any other beings that are in another realm. Not anybody else in all the universe. But us. Right here on this blue dot. In this massive universe. Humanity. That's how special we are to God. God created us for relationship. First with him, then with others. And the Son of Man reflects that relationship as a human being. So the question is why and how? Why would Jesus do that for us? I've got four reasons today that Jesus relates to us. And the first one is perfect because it's Mother's Day. Jesus relates to us first because he had a mom who carried him in her womb, delivered him, nurtured, and raised him. You know, like us. I mean, you think about it. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in Mary's womb, he received his nourishment and his life-giving force just like every one of us has from his mom. And she made a decision to not only have him, but to love him. In fact, remember, Mary said, may it be, she told the angel, as you have said. Man, and this is coming from another teenage girl who is unwed. She happened to also be a virgin as well. A lot of questions. Nobody believed her. Even her betrothed, Joseph, didn't believe her until an angel told him. So this was scandalous in her community and in her culture. So much so that when it came time for her to deliver Jesus, there was nobody else there except for the one man who believed her, her future husband. What a moment. Dad tells the story. I didn't have the, it's weird to say pleasure, but I guess the blessing to be able to see either one of my daughters born because they both had so many complications. But Dad tells the story of when he witnessed Jep being born and 
he said he came out of that experience saying he tipped his hat to womanhood worldwide because of going through that process. He also said he didn't think that they would ever be together again as husband and wife after witnessing what happens at childbirth, right? Such a practical. I'm saying in a much nicer way than he did. <laughs> Truly a blessing and miracle of God that we can bring children into the world and continue that legacy in our families. That's what happened with Jesus Christ. Last year when the Chosen had their special, and I got to just literally imagine being in that moment and watching the Son of God be born, the Son of Man, one of us, I was moved to tears because that was our Lord and Savior as a little baby. Mary's song, she said in Luke 2, My son glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She said that while the Son of God was in her womb, recognizing that the baby that she had in her body, that she would deliver, would be the Savior of not only her but the world. She said people will remember this, and they will remember me because of this moment, and we do. Amazing. She was on the run in Egypt, protecting Jesus as a little baby and a little boy because there were forces already trying to kill him, even when he was a, a toddler and a child. Man, what an amazing mom and her husband, Joseph. You remember that story and when he was 12 years old and there was kind of a home alone in Jerusalem where, you know, they left, but Jesus hung back. He was 12 and Probably this was his first Passover, and so, man, he decided because he was coming of age that he was just going to hang back and have a little Bible study with some of the teachers of the law. Mary and Joseph get a day away and realize, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. Kevin! Right? So they travel back to Jerusalem. Look for him for three days. So now we're talking five days that 12-year-old Jesus has been on his own. Now, he is the son of God. He probably could handle himself, but still, it's 12. And I love it when they come in, they see him in that moment, and first they're astonished and amazed like everybody else because who is this kid? And then she said, why did you treat us like this? Isn't that a mom to a teenager? How many of you have said that, right, to your teenager? Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? And Jesus said, you know, I had to be in my father's house, already showing a glimpse of who he was as son of God, but also as son of man. But then I loved it because it said he went with them and obeyed them. See, he was a teenager who knew he had to listen to his folks, even as the son of God. Wow. When Jesus was illustrating in John sixteen twenty one about the disciples enduring grief, he said, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into this world. And that's true. Why would a woman ever have the second baby, right? Because they forget the pain because of the joy. That's what Jesus illustrated. You know how he could make an illustration like that? Because he's one of us. Because his mother had him. Like our mothers have us. I love it when Jesus is on the cross in John 19. 
that he recognized his mom. He only said a few things while he was hanging on that cross, but one of them was directed at his mother. Woman, behold your son. Son, this is your mother. Passing that on to his trusted friend to take care of his mom. Even at the moment of death, like so many others, you remember your mom. Paul said in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, When the time set had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. What makes Jesus different as the son of man from every one of us is he came here with a purpose to free us and release us from the battle of our own sin. That's why he came. In fact, in Revelation 12, which is an amazing read, you go over there and you see a sort of apocalyptic picture of this very thing. I mean, there's a seven-headed dragon. I mean, it's all fear and all trembling. He goes after this pregnant woman who's about to give birth to a king and a savior. And we see that picture of survival. That's what Jesus did for us. He took on flesh because he is us. He's one of us. The difference is he never sinned, and he is the Son of God. And so he took that on for us to be saved. Which brings me to my second thought. Jesus relates to us because not only does he have a mom like us and came into this world like us, but also he knows what we're up against. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 2.16, It's not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. If he had not been made like us in every way, if he had not been us, his sacrifice would not have worked for us. But he did. Not by our compulsion, but by his Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And that explains a lot. You see, Jesus knows our enemy. Just in the Bible alone, Satan, or the devil, is an adversary. He's an enemy. He's an earth roamer. He's an accuser. He's a tempter. A schemer, a deceiver, a trickster, a liar. He's a murderer, a tormentor, a betrayer, a snatcher of good seed. He is a masquerader of light, a charlatan, a setter of traps, and a master of webs. Our enemy. He's a captor of hearts, a cruel taskmaster, and a prowler seeking seeking souls. To devour. That's our enemy. And Jesus knows what we're up against. In fact, after he was baptized and recognized now what he came here for and what he was going to do, the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days. You can read about Luke chapter 4. And he took on Satan for us. Satan tempted him in three ways. First, it was his basic divine, I mean, basic human nature, which is hunger. We get hungry, right? Some of you are already, your stomach's growling, 
thinking about Freddy's. Can you beat the crowd? Can you get over there, right? Get hungry. Jesus had fasted for 40 days on purpose to begin his ministry. And at the now nearing end of that fast, Satan shows up and says, eat, eat something. You're hungry. It's a basic human desire, but you have the power because you're the son of God as well. You can turn all these stones into bread and feast. He also attacked his human pride. I mean, all of us like to think we're invincible. You came here as the son of God. You're up on this high point of the temple. You jump off. Nothing will happen to you. And even quoted scripture to prove his point. Angels will come and catch you. Nothing will happen to you. He appealed to his human loyalty. What would be his commitment? He looked out over all the kingdoms of the earth and Satan was in control of every single one of them. Corruption. Disastrous government. Kings who had no love for God. And he says, if you just bow the knee to me, we'll rule this together. And every time Jesus said, God's word says no. God's word says no. God's word says, not my will be done, but his. And that's our way. Jesus did all that for us. You get involved in something, your life gets spiraling in the wrong direction. You say, what am I going to do? Satan's after him. He's got all these things. God's word says, not my will be done, but God's. No temptation has seized us, but what is common. And he will always provide a way out. And the way out is him. And that's what he showed us. The Bible says in Luke 4.13 that Satan left him for an opportune time. I believe that was when he found himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, from a wilderness to a garden. But now he's facing, later that day, torture and death. You see, my Lord and Savior Jesus, the Son of Man who is the Son of God, also understands my greatest fear. A six-foot hole. It awaits us all. And so there is the blood, sweat, and tears were coming out, Luke twenty-two forty-four, And you know Satan was just trying to really work on him, say, you don't have to do this. Apparently this is not something you want to do. But you know inside Satan said, oh, we want to kill him because that will end all this because he didn't know the plan. What was Jesus' answer? Not my will, but yours be done. And his sacrifice changed our destiny. Jesus also relates to us because he knows that what we fear most. The Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews 2, 9, we see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. His death was unique, special. Verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That would be us.
we no longer have to fear death because the Son of Man took on death for us because he is us to show that we have nothing left to fear. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 50, Paul would put it this way. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Not exchanged, but changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Yes, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. Our ticket to eternity through the resurrection of Jesus. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That victory is ours. Amen. Yeah, that deserves applause. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God, was raised flesh for us. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, see, it always comes back to family. He's not ashamed of us, folks. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. We're unbeatable. Therefore, we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And this takes me to the last reason we know that the Son of Man relates to us because he gives us his spirit when we are born again. You see, we don't have to just wait for the final resurrection. We get to be resurrected even now. We get to understand what the resurrected life looks like. Just a glimpse. The Bible says when we become sons and daughters, when we're included in Christ, we believe the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So we get the glimpse of it even now. That's why we see amazing things happen in resurrected lives. That's why there's a movie called The Blind. Because a resurrected life of a man and a woman and a family wound up having an impact on millions of people. That doesn't happen by their power. That happens because the Son of Man is one of us, and he made that available by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how that happens. Yesterday I was speaking in northern Alabama at a Men of Iron conference. Hundreds of men gathered Friday night, Saturday morning. And so after the thing was over, and it was a blessing, people came to Christ, lives were changed, hearts were poured out. It was men who were inspired by the message of God. I found out the guy that organized it, who got me there, along with Gus Malzahn and some other people, three-year-old Christian. 
three years ago, he told him, before he became a son of God, he had a 30-year porn addiction that he just could not shake. And it destroyed his family and it destroyed his life. I said, well, what changed three years ago? He said, now I have the Holy Spirit. And by the power of God, that darkness has no hold over me. And so three years later, here he is having a conference with other men. Yeah, that guy deserves a round for what God did in him. That's what the Almighty does. And then I found out something even more amazing or as amazing is the guy that helped fund the whole thing was a guy that was a two-year-old Christian. Who had had so many bad business dealings and bankruptcy and all this terrible thing. And finally he came to Christ. The Holy Spirit came to live in him. And now with clarity, with a vision of God, he had three successful businesses and said, I want to pay it forward what God has done in me. That's what the Almighty does. Changes our trajectory. Changes our vision. Changes everything for us. But it's not our credit. It's because Jesus relates to us by saying, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you. And every fruit that is born and every life that is changed, it is because I live in you. Jesus poured out his spirit for us because he is us. And that's something very powerful. So my question to you today, just like my question was to the men I spoke to yesterday, If he chose you by coming here, because that's what the Bible says, Jesus chose us. If he did that, if he made the choice to come here, made the choice to die for you, for your sins, made the choice to allow himself to be killed and then raised from the dead. If he chooses to mediate for you this very morning as I'm speaking, and if he says he's going to come back, Will you choose him? And why wouldn't you? What does this world have to offer that's better than that? What does any other religion have to offer that's better than that? Because I can promise you none of the world's religions have a Lord and Savior who is one of us and is our God and calls us family. Who wouldn't want to get in on that? If you've never accepted Christ, if you've never made the choice and decision to confess him as your Lord, if you've struggled so mightily with some sin or some temptation and just thought, how can I ever get rid of this? The answer is in him. And today can be a day you can commit your life to him. When we're baptized into Christ, we reenact his death, burial, and resurrection. And springing forth from that grave of water comes a new life. A new life committed to the Son of Man and to the Son of God. And the difference is this new life now has a deposit of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit and to guide and to counsel and to teach. If you've never done that, today's your day. If you have any other need, why don't you come while we stand, while we sing.